find one or get near somebody that has one and read along with them. I believe that our faith is greatly enhanced when we read the Bible. And I cannot visualize people in this world of ours who do not read their Bible and don't want to read their Bible, especially people who claim to be Christian. God made Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, and their job was to dress it and to keep it. They were the keepers of the garden. A few weeks ago, we preached a dedication service for the young son of brother and sister Rand, and we titled our message, The Keepers of the House, and we took our text from Ecclesiastes 12, where it speaks of the keepers of the hands, or the keepers of the house, the hands of the keepers of the body, the Bible says. Throughout the scripture, you will find certain institutions, and people become keepers of those institutions. I'm talking about God-ordained institutions. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that, that a bishop is the keeper of the house of the Lord. Also, the Bible tells us that the women are the keepers of the home. The men are the keepers of the family. Now, there is a difference there. The men are the keepers of the family. The women are the keepers of the home. Now, that doesn't mean that that's talking about housework. While it does not exclude it, it does not specifically state that that's, that is uh, uh, the sum total of her work. She is to instruct the children and to keep the home. A man's responsibility, according to the Scripture, and I use according to the Scripture because I don't want you to think that this is altogether my idea. I didn't write the Bible, and we're just pointing out some things in the Bible. A man's responsibility goes beyond the home, into the community, and into the church. It does not mean that women do not play a very important role in the church. They do play a very, very important and vital role in the church. But we're strictly taking some terminology that comes from the word of the Lord. <clears throat> the church, as far as I can search out in the scripture, the church becomes the keeper's are the keeper of the world. Now, we will go into Scripture in this particular uh, lesson today to bear out the validity of such a statement. But if you did not have a church to go to and you could not feel the presence of the Holy Ghost and yet you were very aware of troubles and trials and hardships and demon pressures, then what kind of a world would this be like? Now you think just for a moment, what kind of a world would this world be like? Adam was the first man. Adam was created by God from the dust of the earth, or from the earth. The term Adam actually means red dirt or red earth or red soil. 
Brother Felix Crowder happens to be a landscape architect. And he holds a master's degree and he tells me it's not proper to say dirt. You're supposed to say soil. He said dirt is something you get on your fingernails. <laughs> and uh, he said Adam was formed from the soil. I have a hard time saying that because I'm from, from the south, from Texas, and there's some words like uh, oil that uh, I have to be very careful with because people do not know what I'm saying. Soil is another one. And I might not be saying that right. I don't know. But uh, I'm, I, I say it as good as I can, and, and, and it's S-O-I-L in case you don't understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> okay. But anyway, Adam was made from that stuff. And uh, <clears throat> the word Adam means red dirt. Now, God placed a deep sleep upon Adam, seeing that Adam was lonely. And then he opened up his side, and from his side he took out a rib, and he made a woman. And she was brought to Adam and given to Adam. And the Bible tells us that, that uh, her, she was called woman because she came out of man. She came out of man. Now the Bible speaks of a raging battle that has taken place in the earth after the time that these two individuals that God had made sinned against the Lord. Now, you are no doubt aware that in the book of Isaiah, the Bible speaks of a conflict that took place in heaven between Lucifer and the Lord. Now, if you just turn there with me to Isaiah the... Uh, what chapter is that found in? The 14th chapter, is it? I think I'm right there. You turn to Isaiah 14 and, and we'll, we'll see. Isaiah 14, verse 12... The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Now you notice Lucifer was called son of the morning, or he was the angel of the morning. Now the word morning here is making reference to the same thing that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 makes reference to. If you will turn back there and look at the days of creation. In Genesis 1 verse 5, the Bible says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now notice what the scripture is saying. God called the light day, and he called the the darkness, night. So you have light equals day, and darkness equals night. And the evening, that's the period of darkness, and the morning, the period of light, were the first day. The first creative day consisted of a time of darkness and a time 
of light. And when the word morning is used in the Hebrew, it usually is making reference to the time of daylight. Whereas we use morning as a.m. and then evening as p.m. But in the scripture it usually means a period of light and a period of darkness. So morning usually, and not always, but usually makes reference to a, the daytime or the light. Now Lucifer was called the angel of the morning or the son of the morning or he was known as the angel of light or revelation. Now, <clears throat> let's read on with uh, the scripture here as it speaks to us. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, or the angels of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, this is an account of Lucifer when he was exalting himself before time even began. When the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now when it speaks of beginning, it's talking about when time started as we know time. Usually, when the word beginning is used, it's making reference to the start of something. But in the Bible, it's not making reference to the start of God or the start of the angelic forces. But it's making reference to the start of the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. In other words, this is how God started the word Genesis means books are the book of the beginnings. Now, <clears throat> Jesus said while he was here concerning Lucifer, since the beginning iniquity was found in thee. So sometime before the start of creation, Satan sinned or rebelled against God. Now, it would be wise for you to keep in mind that Lucifer was the angel of light or the angel of revelation. Now, if you read John 1, the Gospel of John, if you will turn there with me. In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. 
And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, speaking of John, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now Jesus was that true light. Verse 9 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God. Uh, not the will of man, but of God. Now, the Bible uses the term light throughout the, the writing of John 1. Now, in Genesis, when it speaks of light, it is talking of a natural light. However, in the Scripture, because of the close association of revelation or knowledge... With natural light, it is sometimes hard to draw a line to determine whether the Bible is speaking of natural light or it is speaking of revelation or knowledge. Now, when God made the angels, He made them as ministering spirits. And God has... Angels, even today, who are ministering spirits to us. The Bible speaks of that. The Bible tells us that, that the angel of the Lord encamp around and about those that love Him. And those that fear Him. And the Bible also tells us concerning Jesus Christ who died upon the cross. He could have called twelve legions of angels. To come and rescue him. Elisha the prophet. Who was called upon by his servant. To arise out of his bedchamber. And go and see the Syrian host. Told his servant. That he should go back and take a look. At the Syrian host. And so he did. He came back and reported what he had seen. He was told to go back again. And after the third time, the Bible says that his eyes were opened and he saw the heavens. The heavens were full of angelic hosts. And when he came back, he declared to Elisha, his master, he said, There are more for us than against us. And there are ministering angels that perform their duties and responsibilities well today for God Himself. Now, the Scripture bears witness to that. Now, there were three archangels in the Scripture that are called by name. One was Lucifer. One was Michael. And the other, Gabriel. Now, I don't really know uh, what all of these positions that they were given actually means but we do know that since since Satan 
or Lucifer sinned against God, that Michael has become the archangel of war. The Scripture bears witness to that. Now, before Lucifer sinned, I don't know what his job was because there was really no need of war. Now, Gabriel, most people believe that Gabriel is the, is the trumpet blower. Now, I don't really know if the Scripture bears witness to that or not. Do you, Brother O'Neill? I looked and I couldn't find it. You know, we're always talking about Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet and the church is going to rise up higher. Well, I don't really know that Gabriel is, but if I had to choose, I'd just choose Gabriel anyway. He's got to do something. And we'd let him blow the trumpet. But it does appear that Lucifer's job was to assist in granting revelation and knowledge in the kingdom of God. Because he was the angel of light or the angel of revelation. Now, it appears that what happened was he got too smart for his own good. Or, as we would put it in our common vernacular, too big for his britches. In other words, he decided that he wanted to be equal with God. And so as a result, he said, well, I think what I'll do is just ascend up there and sit on the throne of the Most High. In other words, he seemed to know too much for his own good. There was a time which God gave the angels the power to decide whether they would serve the Lord or not. Just like you and I have that power today. For God has never had in His kingdom creatures, whether they be men on earth or angels in heaven, who were not given a chance to decide their own destiny. And Lucifer decided, I will rebel. And so since that particular time that he decided that he would rebel, he has been a master in the thing that he was a master in Prior to rebellion. The Bible says that Satan is a liar. And he is the father of all lies. Now he was the archangel of light or revelation. And he is a master now at deceiving people. And you can understand how he could be such a master Because at one time he was the archangel of light or revelation. And Satan's only tool against man has been lying. He can do anything that he wants to do to you externally. But if he were robbed of his ability to lie... To you, he could not destroy you. 
when He came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He literally taught them into eating of the forbidden fruit and told them that God did not know what He was talking about and convinced them that God was in error. And they believed it. And so they ate of the forbidden fruit. Now Adam was the first man created. Jesus Christ in the scripture is called the second man Adam. Why? Because he was not born as all other men were born. God made man after the law. He made him after the form of flesh as we are but in a little bit different fashion. He did not have an earthly father as Adam had or did not have an earthly father. And so in the scripture he's called the second man Adam. And the second man Adam was tempted of Satan just like the first man Adam. Yet the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, even though he was lied to by Satan three times, In the wilderness, when he started his ministry, the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ, did not sin. And he did not fall and listen to those lies. Now you think of the many times that Satan has lied to you. Isn't it true that that the greatest battle that rages in your life even today is listening to to the inner voices that tell you things about yourself and tell you things about your church, that when you get in a good service around a brother and sister and those things are removed, you then understand that they were just they were just hodgepodge things that were conjured up by the devil and you been, began to believe it. Sometimes people even get the idea that they never were saved. They get the idea that God doesn't care. They get the idea that God's not really on their side. They get the idea that that they can't be successful, that, that all of life is against them. They go on their jobs and they get the idea that all of the employees, fellow employees are against them. They get the idea that they're the sore eye or the sore thumb of the place in which they work. They get the idea that their employer's down on them. They get the idea that all the Christian world is looked upon in a very uh, disrespectful way. They come to church and they get the idea then that that their brothers and sisters are, are not treating them right. Even though there's no real valid proof of that, it's a thing that's taking place in your mind. After a while they get the idea the preacher doesn't like them. They get the idea that every message that's preached is preached directly to them and against them. Somehow they feel that that uh, somebody's been talking to the preacher, and so he just kind of nailed their problem right down, and and it was specifically for them and to them. And and then all of a sudden, uh, God's ministering spirits will come to them, and they receive some encouragement, at least an. Enough ray of hope and encouragement to come back to the house of God. 
Then they get back in the house of God and God begins to deal with their soul. God begins to talk with them. And they find their way back to the altar for reconsecration. And when they arise from that point of reconsecration, it seems like immediately all of those things are erased from their mind. They've got the best preach in the world. The best saints in the world at Calvary Gospel Church. The message that was preached tonight was directly to me. But it was for me and oh how I loved it and how I needed it. They go back to their jobs with a different outlook. The fellow employees, they look differently now. How their employer comes by and gives them praise and such. And then they wonder how in the world can things change so much in such a moment's time. Friend, it didn't change at all. You just change your thinking relative to the situation. It really hasn't changed at all. And you see, the devil is a real master at deception. Because he was officially the angel of revelation and the angel of light. Now, Jesus Christ overcame that. And there is overcoming power in Jesus Christ today. I say there's overcoming power in Jesus Christ today. But there is a red-hot raging battle that's taking place in this planet Earth. Satan is trying his best to deceive as many people as he can. Because the battle is really not against man. It's against God. And this is his way of getting even, so to speak. Do you know that one of the greatest points of leverage that man uses today and one of the most effective is to use the same leverage that the devil uses. It's real easy for people when they want to strike back, they strike back in in an indirect way, not at the person of whom they disfavor, But they strike at someone that they know that that person whom they disfavor loves a lot. And it's so easy. It is very, very easy. Now, for an example, let's suppose that that, uh, me being brother number one, brother O'Neill being brother number two. Let's suppose that we are just really bosom buddies. And then Brother Stitch, let's say, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's brother number three. And so we're just really bosom buddies. But all of a sudden, uh, brother number one, myself, and brother number two, we have a little bit of a, of, of a little cross and a little misunderstanding. Well, I have respected this brother for a long time, and so I don't want to launch an attack directly to him. It's easy for me, then, to launch an attack on brother number two by hurting someone that he loves closely. Now, let's say he's got children. And so as a result, rather than me take out my frustrations on him, I take out my frustrations on his children by finding fault in them. Now you will find that this particular plan is much more in force and activated by men than what you would ever believe. 
If you want a million dollars from a man, you do not kidnap him. You kidnap his wife. And you use her as ransom. Because he would probably let you kill him before he gave you the money. But he loves his wife enough that he will not let you kill her. He forks out the million dollars to get her back. Now why such a conniving plan? Because it is the most effective plan. And it would be easier for me. Because men do not like to confront issues. And much more effective for me if I wanted to hurt brother number two. To attack his children and then talk about this to brother number three. Knowing full well that brother number three is going to go back to brother number two and tell what happened. And the whole point of the raging battle in the world today is not a battle of man against the devil, but it's a battle of the devil against God. The devil will not confront our Lord face to face. He's too much of a coward. But in order to get even for what happened back before the beginning of time when he lost his position in the kingdom of God, he attacks that which is most valuable and precious to God, his bride, his church upon the face of the earth. Now, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and if you will turn there with me. Because he attacks us, and because that we have to fight back, The Bible tells us a little bit about the foe and about the war that's taking place. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, we do not have a visible creature that we can wrestle with. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now the Bible tells us that we should put on the whole armor of God. The reason why that we need to, so that we would be able to stand. Therefore take unto you, verse 13, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Praise God for truth. Now we want to talk with you just for a moment about what you have to do to be saved. We're going to leave this subject momentarily. Well, not the subject, but we're going to leave this particular thought and go back. And then we're going to pick this up a little bit later. But just as Adam was asleep, and God opened up his side and took a rib and brought to him a woman. 
she came out of man, therefore she shall be called woman. Jesus Christ slept the sleep of death upon the cross. And they opened his side, and from his side came forth both blood and water. And that blood and water purchased the New Testament church. Now, if you will turn with me to Matthew 16, we will take a look at a scripture that uses the word church. And it is the first time the word scripture, or the word church rather, is used in the New Testament. Matthew 16, 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the word church here appears, and the word church means called out ones. Now sometimes we think the church is called out of the world. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Just as Israel was called out of Egypt. And while it does denote the term that we're called out of the world, it is speaking of a little bit of a different calling out than what we would normally think. Eve came out of Adam that came out of the physical planet. Jesus Christ was born of flesh. The church is born of the Spirit. But out of Jesus Christ came the New Testament church. Acts 20, 28 tells us, as Peter and the apostles received the commission of the Lord, that they should feed the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made them overseers, which God hath purchased with the shedding of His own blood. And the church literally came out of Jesus Christ. Jesus was called the second man, Adam. Why? Because He was made of a woman. Now when we say made of a woman, it simply means made of flesh, made of the dirt. He had a fleshly form. And so the church came out of Jesus Christ. Now, in order to be saved today, because Jesus Christ died, because He was buried, and because He arose, then we must associate ourselves with the Lord. We must experience a birth, a calling out. Just as Jesus Christ died, we are commanded in the Scripture to repent of our sins. Just as Jesus Christ died, so did we also die with Him on the cross. And Sister Karen, you sung a beautifully, uh, beautiful song this morning of this. And associated herself with the Lord. And in the scripture, we do associate ourselves with the Lord. We actually died with Him on the cross. 
And just as he slept the sleep of death and was placed in a tomb, so are we then commissioned back to the grave. Baptism in the Scripture was a commission, a committal, back to the grave. Why? Because the old man of flesh, the first man, Adam, and all of his descendants, according to Romans 14, are sinners indeed. And so as a result, we carry this robe of flesh that's sinful. And there is a tenor of death that runs through the veins of our fleshly bodies. And so it is commissioned back to the earth so that from that grave, from that burial place of baptism, there can come forth a new creature in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Jesus Christ died, He was buried, and He arose again. We can experience the death of the first man, Adam. We can commission him back to the grave, the baptismal waters. And then we can come forth in newness of life and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance and become new creatures into the kingdom of God. We commission ourselves back to the world so that out of God, so that out of Jesus Christ can come forth a new creature. Praise God. Now, in Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, Jesus Christ is talking to Peter about the new birth, and he's talking about the church and the foundation upon which the church will stand. In Matthew 16, and we want to back up a little bit from verse 17 that we read, or verse 18. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art, thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremus, or Jeremiah, as one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now Jesus Christ was interested in their knowledge. He was interested in a revelation of who he was, and that revelation being brought to fruition in their own minds and in their own lives. And so he said, but whom say ye that I am? Now the reason why, because he knew that the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the eyes of men, that they would not know God nor experience God as they did prior to the time in which the angel of Revelation that became the destroyer of Revelation, blinded the eyes of men. And so the Lord was interested in finding out if they had truly uh, buckled against the heat, if they had truly broken out of the spear of darkness and deception. And so He came to open the eyes 
of the blind. And when I say open the eyes of the blind, I'm not talking about opening physical eyes, but I'm talking about granting revelation and knowledge of truth. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the true light of the world. In other words, Jesus Christ was to come and offer revelation. He was to take the place of the archangel that deceived the nations and him that transgressed. It appears that God did not desire to come and, and create another archangel of morning or light or revelation, but that he enrobed, robed in a fleshly form. He, the God of heaven, robed in the form of Adam, was to come and offer that revelation to man himself. He did not create another archangel to do it. He did not trust another one to do it. Because as sure as he would make another one, he would also have to give him the power to decide. And so he decided he would come and grant that revelation himself. And so he was with these disciples almost three and a half years at this particular point. And he saith unto him, but to them, but whom say ye that I am? Verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now notice what Jesus said. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. But my Father which is in heaven. Jesus was saying, I came in the form of flesh and blood. But the revelation of who God is did not come through me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of my Father which sent me. Jesus Christ came to offer revelation, not because He was a fleshly, physical man, but this was the vehicle in which revelation and knowledge would be transported to the world. He came unto His own. Jesus became the light of the world. Praise God. And so He brought this revelation and this knowledge. Flesh and blood didn't do it. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thy Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, this revelation concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was more than just a mere man. He was God robed in the flesh of a man. The Bible tells us we are founded upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now notice what he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But you see, if the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, if hell shall not prevail against it, that particular vernacular denotes that there is indeed a battle that's going on. But the scripture says that the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now Jesus is not with us in fleshly form. He ascended back into heavens, but he into the heavens, but he did promise to be with us always, even to the end of the world. And so as a result. He is with us in spiritual form today. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. When the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, in Acts, the second chapter, 
the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost was indeed poured out upon us. Now that was the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now Peter having the keys to the kingdom of God in his hand, he was then to take and grant to the world revelation concerning Jesus Christ. And his whole message on the day of Pentecost was designed to open the understanding of men toward God. He tells the Jews that they crucified him ignorantly, speaking of Jesus. He tells the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now the Jews had been blinded to this truth. The devil had done his job well. But because that Jesus was to ascend into the heavens in fleshly form, he was then to place into the hands of those who had received the revelation the direct responsibility of taking Jesus to the world and God was to use the church to open revelation to the world. Now, just as Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, I do not possess the power, I do not have the words, I cannot of myself bring Jesus Christ to you. But because he lives in me, just as God lived in Jesus, the church's responsibility is to take Jesus, or God, to the world. Now, Jesus is inseparable from his people. You cannot separate Jesus Christ from true Christians. Now, you can, in your own mind, separate Jesus from so-called Christians. There are some things that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with. It's to send revelation and light to the world. Now, because of that, there is a red-hot, raging, flowing battle that's taking place right now. The devil is doing everything that he can to deceive every child of God that he can. Now, a good understanding of this is most important for you, especially if you are a new child of God. And the reason why is because every person who comes into the kingdom of God, his faith will be tried. Peter speaks of the trial of your faith being more precious than gold tried in a furnace. Now he says that the trial of your faith is precious. In other words, it's valuable. 
When it speaks of precious stones, it's speaking of valuable stones. Stones that have great worth. He's saying that, that the trial of your faith, there is nothing in the world that can compensate for it. It is the most valuable asset to the Christian. Why is the trial of your faith so important? You see, because that we have the paramount responsibility of bringing light and revelation to the world. Jesus Christ wants to make sure that everybody who wears His name, who took His name in baptism, who is out on the streets and the highways and the hedges and from house to house, that they really do know, that they really do understand who He is. Why? Because you see, my friend, you cannot be saved without a revelation of who Jesus is. He that cometh to God must believe that He is. But it didn't stop there. That He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. John 8, 24, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. And the church's responsibility is to open revelation to the world. Now, with a knowledge of this, then we go one step further. Moses, being the prophet likened to Jesus Christ, or Jesus the prophet likened to Moses. Moses, the deliverer of the Old Testament church Israel, and Jesus, the deliverer of the New Testament church. Before Moses could deliver the household of Israel from Egyptian bondage, he was then rejected of his friends and his relatives and he was driven by God out into a wilderness and he spent 40 long years in the wilderness in which he was tested and tried and tempted of Satan. Now when he came out of that wilderness, he knew full well who was sending him back to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was at the burning bush that he inquired, Who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am have sent thee. Now, I am that I am in the Hebrew is the compound name Jehovah Elohim. Jehovah, the God of Israel. Elohim, the self-existing one. What he was saying is, I am Jehovah, the self-existing one. Now you go back and you tell Egypt and you tell Pharaoh that the God of heavens, the self-existing one, the one that made Michael, the one that made Gabriel, the one that made Lucifer, the one that made the earth and the heavens and everything that's in it, you tell him that I'm behind you. Listen, Pharaoh knew very well when Moses stood there and says, I am that I am have sent thee. He knew that vernacular. Sometimes when we look at it, it's pretty difficult for us to understand because it's been translated from the Hebrew into the English. But that's what he was saying. Jehovah Elohim, Jehovah the self-existing one. 
Now Jesus, when He was here, He said, Except you believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. The He in your Bible is in italics, which means it did not appear in the original text. And it should read, Except you believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Why? Because Jesus is Jehovah, is salvation. And Jesus was saying, Except ye believe that I am the self-existing one, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus Christ was more, my friend, than the second person of a divine trinity. That's why the Bible says that He is the head of all power and principalities that is in both heaven and in earth. The earth was made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And you see, Moses' faith was tried and tested. He was not qualified to deliver Israel until he received a revelation and until he overcame satanic powers and pressures. And God subjected His own flesh into the hands of Satan for testing and trying and tempting And when Jesus Christ came out of that wilderness, friend, He came out of that wilderness, He was triumphant already over uh, Satan. Satan came and tempted Him in three specific ways. But when Jesus came out, friend, He came out with confidence. And that's why John then stood on the banks of the Jordan and he said, I must decrease, but He must increase. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And every Christian that bears the name of Jesus today goes into that period of wilderness wondering where they are tried and they are tested and Satan is talking in one ear. They've got their Bible and they read it and things just don't quite conjure up to them at times. Why? Because the master of deception has been allowed to work upon you by God Himself. God allows that to happen. Why? Because you today, you today, Christian, listen to me, you bear the precious name of Jesus Christ and locked up in your bosom, locked up in your heart is the key of revelation that will open the door to salvation to a sinner man. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You are the keepers of the garden. Just as the second man Adam walks upon the face of the earth today. I'm talking about Jesus Christ in spirit form. Friend, He also walks alongside of His bride. The church that was taken out of His own body. Praise God. And we are to keep the garden. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a slick, slimy devil that still crawls in the garden and still tempts men. Praise God. But you know what my Bible tells me? That the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, If you want to find out just how important the church is in the world today, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter.
Now, 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by the word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Now when it speaks of the day of Christ at hand, it's making revelation it's making reference to Revelation 19. So let's stop there and turn to Revelation 19. <clears throat> now this is at the Battle of Armageddon. Now this is the end of the tribulation period. There is a time of tribulation that's coming up on the face of the earth like you've never seen before. Now, at the end of the tribulation period, the Lord will come back with all of his saints. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that. Now, you see what Paul was speaking of here. He was saying that don't be troubled. Don't be upset. He says, now, the Lord will not come back until certain things happen. Now, when he speaks of his coming back, this is where he's speaking. Now, Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were as many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now he himself, notice this, he himself. But you see, we know his name. And the Bible even tells us in the book of Revelation we know his name. I want to explain that in just a second. But he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed with him, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth gathered a sharp sword, that which, uh, 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 sharp, sharp sword, that uh, with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, his name is what? Jesus. There is none other name. Now, nobody knows that name but Jesus. Well, how do we know it? Because you see, we are his body. See, see, we are his body. Now, Sister Grant is my only wife. Now, no other woman in this congregation knows the name Grant. 
Now, I do have some sons here. See? They cannot know it. Why? Because they have never taken it. There is no way they can know it. They may hear it. It's spelled G-R-A-N-T. But that is all that they can associate with. But she knows. Why? Because she is one with me. See? Now, okay, let's turn back to 2 Thessalonians 3. Now Paul says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, he's saying that that day will not come. The battle of Armageddon will not come. The time in which the Lord comes back with his body, his bride. That time will not come until there's first a falling away. Now, the falling away is the tribulation period. And that man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed. Now notice what happens with the Antichrist. Who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God. Oh, he's going to finally try to prove it again. I will ascend to the Most High. I will be like the Almighty. Now notice what happens. All that is called God. That's people who are claiming to be Christian and such. He's going to, and all the angels, he's going to, he's going to try to get his place back. Or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. In other words, he's going to, he's going to try to do what he started out to do. Now, 2 Thessalonians 2.5 says, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now, what Paul is saying, now you know what withholdeth. See, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. But the Antichrist is not in the world today. And when they come along and with all these stories and such and tell you the Antichrist is going to be revealed on a certain, certain day and certain, certain month and such, you just let it be known that if he is revealed, then the church will not be here. Okay? And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. In other words, something is stopping. Something is holding back. The forces of hell, the forces of iniquity. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now that is speaking of Christ and the church. The Lord of heaven that lives in his people today must first be taken out of the world. That as long as the church is the keeper of the world, of the garden, 
Satan cannot set himself up as God on the earth. There is no way. For the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, hallelujah. This Holy Ghost church, this Jesus name church, this church that wears His name and publishes His name, believes there is no other name, understands that His name is Jesus Christ. As long as this Holy Ghost, Jesus name, tongue-talking church is in this world, the Antichrist and the forces of hell will be pushed back and He cannot set Himself up an earthly throne to exalt Himself equal with God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. But now notice what happens. When He be taken out of the way, the masculine pronoun, He, is used. In the Scripture, the church, you will find the church is called she at times, it's called he at times. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ, and more times than not, the church is referred to as he, using the pronoun, the masculine pronoun. Why? Because it is the body of Christ. When it's making specific reference to the church as the bride, the feminine gender, she is used. But more times than not, the masculine pronoun, he, is used. And he, the body of Christ, must be taken out of the way before that falling away comes. And before the wicked one is revealed. But after he is taken out of the way, notice this. Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. When will he consume him with the spirit of his mouth? When he is taken out of the way, the falling away comes, then he will come back and consume him with the spirit of his mouth. Out of his mouth came a flaming sword. Wasn't that what Revelation 19 said we just read? And that's what he's coming by, to consume the wicked nations and the Antichrist. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Zechariah 14, 12 says, When he comes back that the Spirit of the Lord will be so bright that the people who are battling there at the battle of Armageddon, that their eyes will literally be dissolved right in their sockets. Flesh is going to melt right off their bones. The brightness of the coming of the Lord. Now, I'd like for you to turn with me to Revelation. The fourth chapter. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Lord. I'm glad I'm in the church. Praise God. I say I'm glad I'm in the church. Now, Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. Now, don't forget that. We're going to use that just a Ye are the salt of the earth. Salt is used as a preservative on flesh. And what is preserving the nations today, what is holding them in balance today, is the church. I'm not talking about 
that went out of Rome, friend. I'm talking about the true blood-bought church that bears the name of Jesus. The prophet John in Rome can pray to Mary, but the prophet John here is going to pray to Jesus. Now notice this. In Revelation 4, verse 1, after John had written the letters to the church at Asia, or churches of Asia, the seven churches, he said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me and saith unto me, Come up hither. When he comes back, friend, with the voice of the trumpet, we're going to rise up. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. That's after the church is raptured now. Now, the church is in heaven in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. The church is right there in heaven. Revelation 5, 10, the Bible, Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by every blood and kindred and tongue and people and nation hath made unto us our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now that's speaking of the time in which the Lord's going to come back and rule with the rod of iron. The church is already in heaven. Now notice what happens in Revelation 6 when the spear of the Lord is taken out of the earth. When the keepers of the vineyard are gone. And Satan then is to come to mankind. In Revelation 6, verse 2, I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now this is the spirit of Antichrist at work. It's a condition. It's offering false peace. You see, in the last days, one of the signs, in the day in which they cry, peace, peace, then sudden destruction. There is a false peace movement. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. All right, now we know that's false peace because what the first condition brought in, the second condition took away. Notice this, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. In other words, the thing that the first horse offered, the second one take it, took away. See? And that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. One of the signs of the last days, there should be wars and rumors of wars. The friends going to be more than a rumor then. All right, in verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him a pair of, had a pair of balances in, in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and two measures of barley, three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou not hurt, or hurt not the oil and the wine. In other words, the, the, this horse came with a pair of balances and he's crying, a measure of wheat for a penny. Now, a penny was the approximate wage that a man would make in the days in which this was written. And a measure of wheat 
or three measures of barley was about what a man would consume in one day's time. So what the scripture says, there's going to be a great shortage of food. And it's going to take everything that a man makes just to live on. But if it takes everything a man makes for himself, what about his wife and kids? All I can say is, don't miss the trumpet, friend. Don't miss the open door. Oh, hallelujah. Now, verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Now, this is a pitiful horse. A bleached out morbid horse. A pale horse. And his name that set on him was death and hell followed with him. You remember in the book of Revelation too when that beast came out of that bottomless pit with all of these locust type demons. His name was called Apollyon which means destroyer. Isn't it, isn't it uh, strange that the word uh, Apollyon means destroyer. The word Jesus means savior. Death and hell followed him. And power is given over him. Over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. In other words, the last condition here, now that's only in a short period of time, was death and hell. There are better than four billion people living on the planet earth today. And if one out of four people dies, that simply means one billion people. Now can you feature one billion people dying of starvation and war? Now, right after this, there's another condition that comes that will take a third part of all the people. Now, if you take first to fourth, which is a billion people, you have three, and then you take one-third of those, then you have two billion people left on the earth. But two billion people lay dead on the planet earth in a short period of time. You see, the church is truly the preserver of flesh. I'm not talking about just to preserve the soul. But Jesus said, I will shorten my coming for the elect's sake, lest there be no flesh saved. Flesh saved. Now he's talking about not the first coming, not the rapture of the church, but he's talking about the second coming. He's talking about the 144,000 that will be preserved in the day. He said, I'm going to have to shorten my coming because if I don't, he said, there will be no flesh saved. I'm going to do it for the elect's sake. Those 144,000 that I've called out. If I don't shorten my coming, man will destroy himself. Why? Because you see, his mind is blank. It's obscured. There's no revelation there of God. He can't help himself. But let me tell you something. Jesus walks today in his people. And the blood-bought church is the preserver of life in the earth. And if you're here today without Jesus Christ, you sit right in the midst of people who bear the precious, precious message, the saving message, the message of revelation and light. Praise God. And God wants to open your understanding. I'd like for you to stand with me right now. You see, if you miss the rapture of the church that could take place in any moment now, and when the Holy Ghost, the salt of the earth, is taken out, 
When the body of the Lord is removed, there is no hinderer to lawlessness. There's nobody fighting the gates of hell then. Nobody prevailing against them. Then death and hell, naturally, as the scripture says, is going to be turned loose right here on the face of the earth. Praise God. Listen, I appreciate the old rugged cross. I appreciate the nail prints in his hand. I appreciate the open side. Do you appreciate that? Turn with me in your red hymn book, if you would, to hymn number 33. And as we sing today the old rugged cross, listen to me carefully now. Right here on either side of the pulpit, there is a place for you to kneel and repent of your sins. We have water ready that you can be baptized in. And the gift of the Holy Ghost, God, is just standing ready to give it to you today. Praise God. And you can come and kneel on either side as we sing. We want you to feel free to step right out and come and pray. There are Christian workers all around you who would step right out and come and assist with you to answer any questions that you might have and pray with you. Do you appreciate Jesus? On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the Oregon cross why don't you come on right now come on and give your heart to God would you hallelujah somebody wants to step out don't you